Welcome to the Business of Psychology podcast, the show that helps you to reach more people, help more people, and build the life you want to live by doing more than therapy. Hello and welcome to our first regular Books That Make You Think slot. In these special segments of the week, we are going to be talking about a book that I've come across that, in my mind, sits on the threshold between psychology, business and marketing. One thing that I'm really passionate about is helping psychologists and therapists to learn how to build effective businesses and market ourselves while feeling like we're still serving our clients really well and like we're doing some good in the world. And one thing that strikes me is that often when I read books, whether that's a psychology book or a business book or a marketing book, I'm kind of merging all of those worlds together in my head and trying to figure out where I sit as a clinical psychologist um, with the stuff that I'm learning. And one book that has really made me think this week is Stolen Focus by Johan Hari. And I talked about it a little bit last week and people were really interested in some of the learning from it. So I thought that I'd do a regular slot um, where we can talk about books like Johan Hari's book, which raise some really interesting issues for us as professionals and as marketers as well. So I hope you're gonna find this helpful as people who are in business, but who are also very interested in mental health and promoting good mental health in the world. Okay. So the point that I wanted to pick up on this week from Johan Hari's book was the fact that I found quite shocking that on social media, posts that have hate speech in them, words that generate an an angry response in us, are the most engaged with and shared posts. So a post that has the word obliterate, slam, hate, Um, all of these kind of aggressive words will do much better than a post that is positive. And Johan Hari goes into some of the research behind that um, and it indicates that this is because it speaks to our negativity bias as humans. And it makes sense, right? We're kind of trained to look out for aggression and violence and pay lots of attention to it as a survival mechanism. Uh, It certainly fits with my understanding of how human psychology works. So I don't know why I was that surprised, but I guess I'd never really thought about it before. And it strikes me that there are some clinical implications that need thinking through um, if this is true on social media and if the algorithms are going to continue to promote posts um, like this that are filled with really hateful language I think we need to think about that on behalf of our clients and think about how we might need to um, adapt what we do in the therapy room and in the services that we create for our client groups in order to take that into consideration, because it's going to have a major psychological effect on people. Of course it does. So that's the first thing I want to think about today. And the second thing I want to think about is how we take that knowledge and structure our marketing around it because there's a bit of a debate here about do we do what works 
And we know that what works is all of this negative language and hate speech. Or do we try and do something different, go against the grain of the social media algorithms um, and possibly face getting more expensive results or less good results with our social media campaigns? So those are the two things. And I'll start with the clinical stuff, because that's what struck me first when I read this chapter of the book. And I'm really interested to get your thoughts on it. I really want this to be a conversation. So please do let me know um, what you're thinking as I'm talking about this, especially if you do go on to read the book. I'd be really interested um, to get some debate going on these topics. But I suppose, you know, as a, as a clinical psychologist, I mostly work with um, parents and specifically parents who have um, had to go back to work for one reason or another, uh, whether that's by choice or not by choice. Uh, and often it's those parents who have been dealing with mental health difficulties since their children were born but perhaps didn't notice them until they had to go back to what they considered their normal life um, before. And for that particular client group, there are so many demands on their attention and so many demands on them as people that their threat systems tend to be quite highly activated anyway. So when I was reading that, you know, social media has this real bias towards promoting posts which have hate speech in them and posts that make us feel angry I was thinking well I wonder how much this is contributing to that you know jangling nervous system that we often see in our clients and how much um, that kind of hypervigilance anxiety um, short-temperedness, irritability, all of these things, which are so common for parents to talk to me about, how many of those things are being fueled by the posts that they're seeing on social media? Because I don't think I have a particularly good sense of that because my relationship with social media is potentially slightly unusual in that I mainly use it for work. Um, and I actually don't browse very often as a like normal user of social media anymore and um, so I asked my husband about it and he said he absolutely feels angry and agitated most of the time when he's on Twitter and he when I mentioned it he was like oh my gosh I really recognize that in myself so uh, that sample of one um, but there is research to back it up as well and um, which Johan Hari talks about in the book has made me think that this might be something that I need to integrate into my clinical practice. And perhaps when we're talking about the benefits of mindfulness um, or other things that we might do to help people to decide where they're going to put their attention, maybe we should be bringing up social media and the potential um, for it to increase our, our threat systems and to make us feel angry and irritable when we're discussing a plan for somebody maybe taking behavioural steps to improve their mental health. It's just something that I'm thinking about integrating into my work in a more formal way, because although with certain clients, if they've brought it to me, we have worked in that way before. It's not been something I've had in my head that I need to bring to them. And actually, social media is such a big part of what we do now as human beings, as adults in this society, 
that actually perhaps I need to be bringing social media up in therapy in the same way that I would bring up sleep or diet. Um, so that's just a thought, and I'd love to know what you think on that topic. But now let's think about potential implications in this for our marketing. Um, because obviously a, a lot of you, you come here for support with your marketing and not necessarily support with your clinical work. Um, so I'm thinking from a marketing perspective, we've got a real dilemma. Do we jump on board with this trend and get lots of views on our posts by being inflammatory? One of the examples it uses in the book is that posts with high levels of moral outrage do very well. Um, and I thought, well, we're all capable of a bit of moral outrage <laughs> every now and again. Um, so hypothetically, that could be an option for us. We could hop on board with this and ride the train um, into the rabbit hole of despair. <laughs> but as you're probably picking up on from my tone, I am a bit concerned about where that might take people, especially after talking to my husband um, and asking, you know, around with my friends and family about how social media makes them feel. I think people actually have an awareness that it creates this anger and irritability within them. And I don't feel like that's something I particularly want to be part of. Certainly don't want to make it worse. So I guess where I'm falling down is rebelling and going in the opposite direction with my content and thinking about how I can make my little corner of social media a place that people want to go, where they feel they can come and have a bit of calm while they think through a topic in a bit of um, detail. It's part of my motivation actually for doing some longer videos like this is yes the algorithm is telling me not to do this. The algorithm is saying keep it short, keep it snappy but this isn't something we can talk about in a, a 30 second soundbite. This is something that needs proper debate and real thinking about and I think my hypothesis is that there are people out there who are craving that and that some of our minds are craving that time staying on one subject rather than this endless, endless scroll of new information all of the time. I think there are people who want to stay with us and think about something deeper for a bit longer. I think it will take longer to get the audience um, because the algorithms are not gonna prioritize short videos. But I'm uh, not going to prioritise longer videos, sorry, um, because they're all about the short video at the moment. But I think if you show up and consistently create high quality content, which is giving people good value um, and going a, a bit deeper, being a bit more positive, not giving in to this kind of anger inducing language, then people will start sharing that with their friends. It will be slower but people will do it by almost word of mouth um, and you will grow a following of people who come to you for that dose of positivity or thoughtfulness, which they're not getting on the rest of the web. That's my theory anyway, and it feels ethically a lot better with me um, to, to provide that for people and then hope and try to promote that content and get people's eyes in front of it. So one way that you might do that is creating one longer video or one um, more positive video per week, and then creating a short snappy summary of that 
um, which might be promoted a bit more readily that points people back to the longer one. Um, so that might be a practical strategy that you could use to get people looking at your positive content and getting over that kind of negativity, negativity bias, potentially, um, by using our knowledge of the um, algorithm's preference for short videos to do a short positive video. So the algorithm will think, well, that's OK, um, and direct people back to your longer, more positive video. So I think that could be one way around it. Another thing that you can do to try and get people to watch your more positive and your more kind of thoughtful content um, is to make it engaging, to make it spark conversation with people. If you can do that, if you can get a conversation going around your content or in your community in general, the social media platforms have to take notice of that because that is people sticking around on the platform, engaging on their platform, which is ultimately what they want. Um, and that's telling them what people want and expect and what is going to keep them on the platform for longer. So if you can successfully do that, if you can create content that people want to talk to you about, then you will teach the social media platforms that we want something a bit different, that we don't want all of this kind of clickbaity, anger-inducing stuff, which just gets our threat systems going so we can't tear ourselves away from it. Because essentially, that's what this is about. It's about activating the threat system. So your brain goes, don't stop looking, don't stop looking. And um, so you never stop scrolling. And I think a, lo a lot of us know what that feels like and can relate to that. And we have to teach the social media platforms and the algorithms that, that actually isn't what people want. Um, and one way of doing that is creating more positive content and then working really hard to generate conversation around that content. So with that in mind, if you enjoy these videos and you've got any thoughts on this topic at all, please do leave me a comment under the video um, and, and let's talk about it. Let's get that conversation going and let's teach the social media platforms that we want to have space to think. We want to talk about positive subjects and we want to have real thoughtful debate on our social media channels. Um, because I, I think it's really important if we want to stop this kind of runaway train um, running down this incredibly negative rabbit hole on social media. So thank you very much for joining me for the first ever Books That Make You Think <laughs> um, section. I'll be back here next Monday to talk a bit more about um, Stolen Focus by Johan Hari because he gave me lots of thinking points. So if you've got thoughts on the topic that we've discussed today or if you've got a book that you'd like me to think about for the next Book That Made Me Think um, section, then please do leave me a comment below this video if you're watching on social or um, you can always get in touch with me on Instagram at Rosie Gilderthorpe. I'd really love to, to hear what you think. Um, you can also subscribe to the Business of Psychology podcast, where these videos are going to be put out as audio um, midweek every week. So if you prefer to listen, that's another place that you can find me. All right. Thank you very much for joining me today. Are you looking to build an independent practice that is fulfilling, impactful and financially rewarding? 
Did you know that I run a business course that's designed to help you do exactly that without making all the mistakes I made along the way? Over 12 weeks, we take you through everything you need to know to set up a practice that lets you live your values. Through a combination of teaching from experts, legal templates to make sure your practice is covered, peer support and group coaching sessions, this is the place for anyone looking to get off the starting blocks in private practice. The course is always accessible in pre-recorded format and three times a year we run a live cohort. So what are you waiting for? Join us at psychologybusinessschool.com forward slash the psychology business school. The link's in the show notes. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Business of Psychology podcast. If you share my passion for doing more than therapy, then make sure you come over and join my free Do More Than Therapy Facebook community, where you can work on getting your big ideas off the ground with like-minded psychologists and therapists. I'd also love it if you could leave this show a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. It will help more of the people who need it to find it. See you next week for more tips and inspirational stories to help you do more than therapy.